Through all the years of TBR Media, we've had so many wonderful experiences collaborating with local businesses. This month, we're collaborating with Anthology Soap Co. We've had the pleasure of knowing Dana, the woman at the front of the homestead, and been gifted the Slices of Soap monthly subscription box. And we can tell you with full confidence that we will be subscribing for more to come. Not only are they curated with festive, seasonal themes, but they are a continuation of small business collaborations. As a supporter of TBR Media, you can receive free shipping on your first subscription box using code FREESHIP. That's F-R-E-E-S-H-I-P. Whether you're looking for a new clean and locally made soap or a body butter that smells so good you've contemplated digging in, Anthology Soap is sure to be a great source of any special occasion gifts for your partner, parents, or even your coworker who's trying a new aluminum-free deodorant. With a mission that resonates with why TBR Media was founded and a fellow Nebraska-owned business, to quote Dana, the CEO of Anthology Soap Co., it is our honor to be with you and to each be our own true, authentic selves and to share this thing called life. From our homestead to yours, thank you. And as always, TBR Media is your movie refuge. Welcome to another edition of Cine-ish, right here on the TBR Media Network. My name is Jared, your host for the day, and we have got an amazing episode for you. We've got a lot of news, uh, updates on the sag after strike. We have also got Netflix price increases yet again. Deadpool 3 has been uh, shuffled from its May 2024 release date. Uh, Golden Globes may be streaming this time around instead of on network television, and so much more. Uh, a little bit later in the episode, we are also going to be doing a Killers of the Flower Moon review, which I am super excited to get into. We've got all of that on the way, so stay tuned. But first, let's get into the box office. box office update this week comes via deadline. The overall box office at around 86.8 million is off 24% from a year ago, but AMC's Taylor Swift The Eras Tour and Apple and Paramount uh, with Martin Scorsese's movie Killers of the Flower Moon kept the business afloat and popcorn popping with a respective weekend takes of 32 million for the Taylor Swift eras, and then 23 million for Killers of the Flower Moon. We're still waiting on Apple and Paramount's official number, but it's around 23 million. Kudos to Apple here for changing up the release of Scorsese pick from a limited to wide. There was no need to tee off in a very non-competitive marketplace with demand like this. Killers of the Flower Moon is an exceptional start for what it is and essentially it's a very long movie, three and a half hours to be exact. Also, it's applaudable for a start for a period of a movie, with the piece being set in the 1920s, quite often tracking sources pin period as a factor that dogs overall grosses at the box office. 
In third place, you have Exorcist Believer with a total weekend gross of 5.6 million. Um, total to date, The Exorcist Believer has raked in 54.2 million at the box office. Paw Patrol at number four with the three day gross at 4.4 million and a total domestic haul of 56 million. And then at number five, A Nightmare Before Christmas. It uh, played at just a little under 2,000 theaters and the three-day weekend gross was 4.1 million. So obviously people were trying to get into the Christmas and spooky spirit at the same time. They went to see Nightmare before Christmas. Uh, and then everything else kind of trailed off after that. Uh, Saw X came in at six, the creator at seven, and then uh, it kind of just trails off from there. And that is going to conclude your box office update. For news this week, we are going to start with your latest SAG-AFTRA update here. So SAG-AFTRA and Hollywood's major studios will return to the bargaining table on Tuesday, writes Variety, nearly two weeks after the management side called a halt to talks, saying that the sides were too far apart. The union's negotiating committee confirmed in a message to members that the outreach to resume talks came from the management side. Word of the resumption of negotiations came Saturday afternoon in a short joint statement from SAG-AFTRA and the AMPTP, or the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. In the statement, uh, they noted there's at least some executive leaders from the AMPTP member companies that would be on hand as well. This comes after SAG-AFTRA's first industry-wide strike in more than 40 years hit the 100-day mark. The return to bargaining comes as initial pressure and internal pressure that has been mounting on SAG-AFTRA leadership to find the path to resolution of the contract talks and the union's first industry-wide strike since 1980. George Clooney, an A-lister with a bumpy history with Hollywood unions, emerged this week with an alternate proposal for securing higher streaming residuals. That ruffled some feathers among SAG-AFTRA's top brass as it became a clear sign of the restlessness in the ranks. Previously, SAG-AFTRA uh, put out a statement on late October 11th when it abruptly announced a pause in the talks because the sides were simply too far apart on key issues. Uh, studio leaders were more than a little irritated that four of the senior most executives in Hollywood spent five full days in bargaining sessions with the performers' union without being able to bridge the key gaps. SAG-AFTRA's negotiating committee left uh, a little bit of a memo on the 100th day of the strike, and it, I would recommend everyone go out and actually read it, but they end the memo with the following statement. We are focused. We are determined. We will not waver. One day longer, one day stronger, as long as it takes, which is a very strong statement from the SAG-AFTRA negotiating committee. Uh, we'll just have to see. It's exciting that they're resuming talks. Um, on Tuesday, that's something that's positive after the talks on the 11th were previously derailed. We'll keep you updated right here on the Cine-ish podcast for everything that comes from it. And we have some interesting news about Netflix here. So this comes to us via The Verge. Netflix is getting another price increase as part of the streamer's third quarter earnings results. Netflix announced that starting today, users on its $9.99 per month basic plan will now have to pay $11.99, and those paying $19.99 on the premium will have to pay $22.99. Netflix's $6.99 ad-supported plan and $15.49 standard tier will stay the same price. 
And this is kind of a situation where they're trying to push people to the ad-supported plan because they can essentially make more advertising revenue that way. So they're going to raise the basic and premium plans to push people to either the standard tier or the $6.99 ad-supported plan. It last raised its prices in January 2022, and it closed off access to the $9.99 basic ad-free plan to new and relapsed users in July, forcing everyone to fork over more, even if they only want to avoid ads. Quote, as we deliver more value to our members, we occasionally ask them to pay a little bit more, Netflix writes in its letter to the shareholders. Our starting price is extremely competitive with other streamers, and at $6.99 per month in the U.S., for example, it's much less than the average price of a single movie ticket. Earlier this month, the Wall Street Journal reported the streamer would raise the cost of its subscription, quote, a few months after the Hollywood actor's strike ends, and now it's happened even though the actors are still striking. Last month, the Writers Guild of America ended its strike after reaching a deal with the services like Netflix to provide streaming data, higher minimum pay, and better residuals. Over the past few months, Netflix says it has added 8.76 million new subscribers, bringing the streamer's global total to 247 million. In addition to its password sharing crackdown exceeding expectations, Netflix also saw significant gains to its ad-supported plan, with membership increasing almost 70% quarter over quarter. And Netflix has positioned themselves with a strong slate of content planned over the next month with its first live sporting event, the Netflix Cup, airing on November 14th. Meanwhile, the streaming service is also debuting its Squid Game reality show and the Scott Pilgrim anime in November. And if the price increases at Netflix weren't enough to make you cringe, well, we have some bad news. Via deadline, Deadpool 3 has been shaken by... Basically, the Hollywood strikes, but specifically the sag after strike that's still ongoing, and now they are moving the release date off of May. In one of the first major blows to the 2024 theatrical release schedule due to the ongoing actor strike, sources tell us that Marvel Studios' Deadpool 3 won't be making it to its May 3rd start of summer theatrical release date. Even if the strike ends in the next few weeks, a 2024 restart on the first half-finished Deadpool 3 would not get the Ryan Reynolds-Hugh Jackman threequel to a May opening date. There's just too much to do in regards to assembling crew and reassembling talent. Note, this is just the beginning for the 2024 titles. Other studios have yet to play the game of three-card Monte with their first notable films that are in positions similar to Deadpool 3. So what happens to the start of summer now? There is a long shot per sources that Captain America Brave New World, which originally was set for May 3rd, and then was pushed to July 26, actually moves back because it's in better shape than Deadpool 3, having finished production in its entirety. While certain prolific movies such as the Taylor Swift Eras Tour, The Nun 2, and The Equalizer 3 didn't see their openings greatly impacted by the actor strike, distribution sources believe that the fact that thespians can't promote their films has diluted ticket sales. Several notable movies did not perform up to snuff, like the creator, Haunting in Venice, and Dumb Money, just to name a few. As Deadline reported earlier, the town's biggest stars have offered to kick in $150 million in dues over three years to end the stalemate between the AMPTP and SAG-AFTRA. Disney hasn't made the Deadpool 3 movie official and did not return Deadline's request for comment.
So let's move on to the Golden Globes and kind of what's going on with them. We've been talking over the last few months about some of the changes that have been made to the Golden Globes. You have a different voting body. They added a bunch of new uh, members to help with diversity and inclusivity. But they also added two new categories, a blockbuster category and a stand-up comic category that kind of took everyone by surprise and in a good way but also in a bad way. So they obviously have a lot to figure out when it comes to making the standard for the Golden Globe ceremonies up to par, or you know maybe just a little under par with where the Academy is right now. But um, there's one giant problem, and that's been where are the Golden Globes going to be hosted? Because no network is really picking it up. So this comes to us via the wrap. The Golden Globe Awards are still struggling to find a broadcast partner for 2024. The Elridge Industries CEO, Todd Bowley, told CNBC on Monday that they are likely going to transition to streaming. He said, quote, I doubt we'll be on NBC. There's a giant transition going on. Streaming is becoming part and parcel with where the world's headed. The flexibility that we can do on streaming environments is very different than what we can do on a major broadcaster. I think we're going to take advantage of that flexibility. The Golden Globes were acquired by Elridge and Dick Clark Productions in June, a move that Bully said at the time, quote, marks significant milestones in the evolution of the Golden Globes. And as we previously mentioned, the Globes have been mirrored in controversy thanks largely to the makeup of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association with the show not even being broadcast in 2021. And along with the acquisition by El Ridge and Dick Clark Productions, which also owns Penske Media Corporations and publications like Deadline, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association formally disbanded, although many of the same members were still voting. During the broadcast earlier this year, Host Jared Carmichael addressed the group's many controversies. More recently, the group dropped 18 voters. The awards are now courting respectably with, apparently, a potential streaming debut instead of a linear broadcast on NBC, as has been the tradition in years past. This might be the latest evolution in an awards show that has had to adapt and evolve in recent years and is not outside the realm of possibility. The SAG Awards are also going to stream on Netflix starting in 2024. If you're a fan of all things entertainment, consider checking out our website. You'll find podcasts, movie reviews, opinion articles, and even more content covering all things related to film culture. Our site has been active since 2018, beginning with our mission to amplify independent voices in our very own home state of Nebraska. As months and years passed, it was evident that there were creative communities from all across the world that lacked access to press opportunities for their projects. We wanted to expand coverage for filmmakers on all levels and etch guiding marks on the global indie community. Through your partnership and submissions, we can make this a sustainable reality for thousands of filmmakers. Whether you're looking for an interview opportunity or a review of your latest project, we have you covered. Simply search www.theboroughmedia.com in your web browser and head over to our contact page to sign up for a free TBR Media account. Afterwards, you'll get access to exclusive membership options in our shop for one-time review commissions on short and feature films. You'll also find a list of submission guidelines. We can't wait to build a thriving indie community with you. TBR Media is your movie refuge. Over the weekend, Martin Scorsese's newest film, Killers of the Flower Moon, released wide 
over the United States. Uh, and I've got to say, it is a movie that is three and a half hours, but feels like two and a half hours. And that can be a good thing when you're dealing with the subject matter and the topics that Scorsese has laid out in this movie. Uh, so the movie is following an oil discovery in the 1920s in Oklahoma under the Osage Nation land. The Osage people are murdered one by one until the FBI has to step in to unveil the mystery. And for those of you history buffs out there, the FBI, this was one of their first major bureau investigations, and uh, they are trying to figure out why the Osage people are being attacked. And it's very clear why they are. You know, people want the want the money that they've been receiving by the government to drill on their land. And so that's kind of the premise of this movie. Uh, it's a dark movie. It is very, very quiet. It's a very talky movie. There's a lot of dialogue. But I must say that the performances here are the standout. Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, and Lily Gladstone. Specifically, those three actors are exceptional in this. And there's so many other faces, too. You have John Lithgow, you have Brendan Fraser showing up, uh, and so many more. Jesse Plemons, uh, particularly who I found to be the most engaging in this film, was Lily Gladstone and Robert De Niro. I think both of them take the material from the page. And this movie, by the way, was written by Scorsese, but also by Eric Roth and David Gran. But the script itself, like I said, as it's a very talky movie and it is three and a half hours, um, there are a lot of opportunities for them to kind of falter when it comes to executing everything in kind of this linear motion. Yet, the most captivating thing is the performances. And uh, as mentioned, Robert De Niro and Gladstone take that material and really bring it to life. Um, Gladstone in particular uses a lot of facial uh, acting work in this. I mean, really, like, you can feel the, you can feel the trauma, you can feel the pain, and you can feel the anger bubbling up in her character, Molly Burkhart. And that, in particular, was something that I was really looking forward to. This movie had a rewrite, which essentially they shifted the perspective of it more from the perspective of Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Ernest, and William Hale, uh, who's played by Robert De Niro. And they took it, um, that was the initial focus, and they kind of remapped it to put Lily Gladstone's Molly Burkhart at the center of the story. Um, I don't know that that was quite successful because ultimately what you have here, you have a lot of work being done to kind of get you in the mind and get you in the, the state of what it would be like to be Molly and to lose the people in your community and question who's doing it. But at the same time, the majority of the time that we are in this movie and in this world uh, we are following Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro. So it's like, I, I would almost say it's like a half-baked attempt at changing the perspective late in the game. You can tell that they, they wanted to try and bring out the Osage perspective a little bit more in this movie, but it doesn't quite come to the heights that it needs to to be fully perceptive of it. Nonetheless, I think that there are some beautiful, striking cinematography. 
um, in this movie, particular shots that are uh, astounding. You have great performances from every actor in here. And you also have a subject matter which is very, very complicated and dark. And it's it reminds me of Oppenheimer. It's taking a look in the mirror and, and just showing us the savagery of being a human. And so if you're going in with the expectation that this is going to be like some epic crime thriller uh, like Scorsese has done in the past, it is not quite there. Um, its focus is more on the people and how they are responding to certain situations. And so for that, I, I really did like it. And as mentioned, it is a three and a half hour movie that feels like two and a half hours. It feels one hour shorter than it actually is, which is kind of incredible when you think about it. I did not check my watch once in this movie. Um, there was so much, you know, to to kind of focus on and to pay attention to how characters were responding to one another, all of the intricacies of family and of friendship and community and how they were all just torn apart. Uh, it's brutal, it's bloody, and unfortunately it is part of our history as a country, which is sad. Um, but nonetheless, I think it's an important film. I think it's one that you should go see. And uh, you'll have to let me know what you thought of Killers of the Flower Moon. I think it's among Scorsese's best, but perhaps not his best. Um, and I think a lot of that comes down to the, the script and the reworking of the perspective in the movie. And I would encourage you to go read about that more after you see the film, just so that you can kind of understand where they were initially going and what they had to pivot towards. But with all that down and out of the way, I hope you enjoyed that review of Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, let me know what you thought. On our YouTube channel, we live stream Cine-ish episodes so that we can interact with you, the viewer, as we make our show. You'll also find video essays, reviews, and trailer reactions for all your favorite properties. We offer different perks exclusively to our YouTube members. Whether you're looking to join the TBR Cinema Club Discord server, gain custom member badges and emotes, get early access to our videos, and exclusive member-only content, or get producer credits on our videos and podcasts, there's something for everyone on our YouTube membership. To find us, simply search at The Borough Media on YouTube or type in TBR Media in your search bar. Make sure to not only subscribe if you like the content, but to give the video a like and ring the bell to make sure you receive notifications when we upload or go live. TBR Media is your movie refuge. It's been a long weekend and we're all gearing up for Halloween, but here are some of the things you might have missed. So we just got done talking about Killers of the Flower Moon. Obviously, that's in theaters right now. It will be on Apple TV at some undisclosed date. But for now, head to the theater, watch Killers of the Flower Moon, support that movie. Uh, you also have Fear the Walking Dead, the final season trailer that uh, just released a short time ago. But now we have episode one of season eight, part two, which is premiering on AMC. Uh, so you can go watch episode one right now at the time of listening to this. Uh, this is kind of the final showdown for Fear the Walking Dead, a show that I initially loved because it was radically different. Uh, it, it felt radically different from the main line, The Walking Dead show, just because of the family dynamic. They kind of faltered in there a couple of times. Uh, they were able to bring it back. 
And then the last season I heard kind of dropped the ball again. But if you enjoyed the first half of um, season seven, like I know a lot of people did, maybe this will be your jam. You also have Nyad on Netflix. Uh, this is Annette Benning, and it's a sports drama that follows the true story of Diana Nyad, a 64-year-old marathon swimmer who dreams of swimming from Cuba to Florida. Uh, early reactions are calling this biopic a potential Oscar contender, but even if you cast that possibility aside, Nyad sounds far too compelling to pass up. Uh, this is something that I've heard floated around for quite a, quite a while, actually, a couple of months, uh, that Annette Benning had an Oscar potential for this. The, the film as a whole might not, but Annette Benning's performance is something that's been heralded from the rooftops. So you can watch that on Netflix. Uh, Bill Burr is in Old Dads on Netflix as well. It is a Netflix film from director Bill Burr. Uh, so if you are a Bill Burr fan as I am, you can check that out on Netflix right now. And that's pretty much all we had this week. There's not a whole lot, but there is a lot there for people who are fans of biopics, who are fans of The Walking Dead, and who are fans of Bill Burr. <laughs> and those are three major categories. So thank you all so much for listening to today's episode of Cine-ish right here on TBR Media. Make sure to follow the podcast and rate the podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Uh, the ratings and the follows really do help uh, in the algorithm in determining, you know, where our show's being shown. And so it would mean the world if you would do that. Also, feel free to check out our show notes. Um, we talked about it way in the beginning of the podcast, but we are um, partnering with Anthology Soap Company this month. So you can get uh, free shipping on your first box of the Slices of Soap monthly subscription. Uh, the soap is incredible. Uh, truly, and I, I, we use it in our house all the time. The foaming soap's great. The slices of soap are uh, really, they smell delicious. Like it almost smells like you could just eat it. Um, don't do that. But uh, they are really nice, and I would encourage you to head down to the show notes to check that out. We will be back at some point, probably next week. We have a kind of a huge schedule recently. I have a certain screener in my inbox right now, and the review embargo lifts on the 30th. I can't wait to talk about that. So we're going to try and hit that for sure. Next uh, Friday, we are actually doing our second episode of Drunk Trivia. Linda is back for that, and it is Halloween-themed. So it's a full episode of nothing but horror trivia. I think you'll enjoy it. We had a lot of fun filming it. But that is going to conclude today's episode. Wherever you are in the multiverse, take care. <laughs>